Welcome to the Salt Company Cedar Falls podcast. We're a ministry of Candeo Church, and we are glad you're listening. Amen, amen. Amen, you guys, that was awesome. Hey, you can go ahead and take a seat. Hey, Caleb, where are you at? Caleb, there we are. Hey, guys, in just a minute, I want to take some time and honor Caleb because the Bible says to outdo one another in showing honor. But can we just be real for a minute? In Luke 10:2, the Bible says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. You guys, I think actually right here right now is evidence of that. As far as I know, Caleb and his family is the only person in this room right now who has already put their guests on the table, who is planning to move to a place, move across the entire world and be an answer to that Luke 10-2 prayer. And so guys, if Caleb Thompson is not one of your heroes, he should be, he's one of mine. And so can we just take a minute and honor Caleb for what he's doing? Caleb, I know you would rather deflect that praise and you'd rather we just pray for you. So we also want to commit to doing that. But um, I do just want to say thank you, dude. You are one of my heroes and I really, really want to honor you and what you're doing. So, hey, for the rest of you, welcome to Salt Company. I am so glad that you guys are here. If we haven't met, my name is Andrew and I'm on staff here um, and love working for Salt Company Cedar Falls. If you guys have a Bible, you can go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 19. That is where we're going to be at tonight. And tonight is the last night in one of our series, the parable series. And so over the past handful of weeks, we have been looking at Jesus's parables, which have been absolutely incredible. All right. If you guys want to know what like the meat of Jesus's ministry was, what he taught, look to his parables. Because parables are the stories that Jesus used to teach his disciples and to like show the world what he was all about. And so he talks about the kingdom of God and the realities of salvation and what it means to come under his authority and lordship as king. And tonight's passage is no different. Tonight's passage in Luke 19, chapter 11 is where it starts. It's the parable of the minas, or as uh, Luke Perman affectionately named it in D group this morning, the parable of the monies. So parable of minas, minas means money. So parable of monies is where we're at tonight. And we see in this parable, we're going to see a king and he's going to give his servants some gifts. And actually these servants respond to the gifts they get in completely different ways. And it has an impact not only on like the rest of their life, but also their eternity. And it's actually really crucial that we pay really close attention to what Jesus is trying to say here and what these servants do with their gifts. Because they actually teach us what is the right way to respond when we get gifts from God. What are we going to do? And so tonight, let's really lean in. Let's see how we respond when God gives us gift, because it affects not just our eternal life, but our everyday life. And so look with me at Luke chapter 19, verse 11. It says this. It says, as they were listening to this, he, Jesus, went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem, and they thought the kingdom of God was going to appear right away. All right, I'm going to pause just for a second to give some context. So Jesus here, he's talking to his disciples, and they're on their way to Jerusalem. And the disciples' view of the kingdom of God was very different than Jesus' view of the kingdom of God, the kingdom that Jesus had been talking about for months. And so what the disciples thought, they thought they were going to Jerusalem to, like, overthrow the government. They thought that this kingdom that Jesus was talking about was going to happen real soon, that they were going to go to battle war and establish this like physical, political, like geopolitical capital that was going to be Jesus's reign. But that is not at all what Jesus is talking about with the kingdom of God. And so in order to correct this view, 
he tells this parable, all right? I'm going to read the whole thing, and then we're going to talk about it. So in order to correct their view about the kingdom of God, Jesus tells them this story. He says, a nobleman, in verse 12, traveled to a far country to receive for himself authority to be king and then to return. He called 10 of his servants and gave them 10 minas and told them, engage in business until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we don't want this man to rule over us. And at his return, having received authority to be king, he summoned those servants he had given the money to so that he could find out how much they had made in business. The first came forward and said, master, your mina has earned 10 more minas. Well done, good servant, he told them, because you have been faithful in a very small matter, have authority over 10 towns. The second came and said, Master, your mina has made five minas. So he said to them, you will be over five towns. And another came and said, Master, here is your mina. I have kept it safe in the cloth because I was afraid of you since you are a harsh man. You collect what you didn't deposit and you reap what you didn't sow. He told him, I will condemn you by what you have said, you evil servant. If you knew I was a harsh man collecting what I didn't deposit and reaping what I didn't sow, why then didn't you put my money in the bank? And when I returned, I would have collected it with interest. And so he said to those standing there, take the mina away from him and give it to the one who has 10 minas. But they said to him, master, he has 10 minas. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. And from the one who does not have, even what he does have will be taken away. But bring here these enemies of mine who did not want me to rule over them and slaughter them in my presence. All right, that is some harsh and some confusing language. We're gonna get to the end part, we're gonna deal with all of it, but first we're gonna go back and kind of take this little like chunk by chunk and just like make sure we're understanding what Jesus is going here, all right? So we'll get there, but first let's go back to verse 12. What does it say? And said, a nobleman traveled to a far country to receive for himself authority to be king and then returned. This was really common back then. Somebody who wanted to rule or was rising to power in kind of like a far off domain, he would leave and go to like headquarters basically or the capital, go and get the right to have authority. He would get like put place over a king and then come back and begin his rule. And so this is happening here, this nobleman, he's about to leave, about to go to the capital and get like the authority to be king. But before he leaves, what does he do? He grabs a couple of his servants and he brings them close and he gives them each a mina. Now, what's a mina? A mina is kind of like a unit of weight that was used back then to determine currency. It was like an amount of gold. And this is like no small amount that he's given them, right? So a mina is like a quarter of their year's salary. So just think about that for a sec. Can you imagine if someone came up to you and all the money you're gonna make, or maybe because you're college students, maybe think about the money your parents were gonna make, if somebody just gave them like a third of their salary just straight up. Like that is an incredibly generous sum. And it's still their master's money though, all right? He gives it to them, but he entrusts it to them as if it's their own. So they've done nothing to earn it. They haven't asked for it. Their master has just entrusted them with his own money And then what does he say? He gives them a command. So he says in verse 13, engage in business until I come back. So now he gives them a command. He entrusted them with a treasure and now he gives them a command. So he gives them the mina and then he commands them, hey, go and engage in business. And what does he mean by that command? He's saying, hey, put this money to work, right? Use this money to do business. I don't care what you do, invest it, buy something that's gonna increase in value, whatever you do, put this money to work because I want a return on my investment. And so their task is to use the money that he gave them to make more money. 
And then he says, I'm going to come back and check on you. And so he's given them an amazing gift, an amazing stewardship over this money that's his, and a job to do, but also the means to do it. They don't have to use their own money. They just have to use his money. All right, so that's where the servants are at. They're sitting there with a huge lump sum of money and a job to do with it. But there are other people in this kingdom, right? Not just the servants that get the minas, but there's some subjects, right? What does it say in 14? It said, but his subjects, so some other people in the kingdom, hated him. And they sent a delegation after him saying, we don't want this man to rule over us. So there are some people that are his servants, and there are other people who hated him. These are the people that are like sending a petition after him saying, please do not let him be our king. We don't want him. We want to rule ourselves. We reject this king's authority and we don't want it in our life. But what happens next? He leaves, he gets his authority, right? And he comes back. And so the hatred of his authority had absolutely no effect on its legitimacy. He goes to headquarters, he goes to the capital, whatever, gets his right to reign as king and he comes back and he addresses his servants. And he asks them how much they had made in business. All right, he comes, he's checking on them, the command that he gave them. And what does the first one say? He says, master, your mina has earned 10 more minas. I love that response. First of all, he doesn't say, hey, look, because of my skill, because of my investing, because of my hard work, I've got 10 more minas for you. He says, no, your mina has done the work, which shows he's humble. He knows where the gift came from. He knows how the work got done. It was from the mina that the king gave him. And what does he do? He says, it has earned 10 more minas. That's amazing, you guys. He earned 10 times more. I don't know what he was doing. I don't know what he was investing in or buying. Whatever it was, it must have been like the ancient Rome equivalent of Bitcoin because this thing was exploding. All right, it was so much money. If anything in your life is going to give you a 1,000% return, you absolutely need to do it. Like that is borderline miraculous, all right? And so he, whatever he'd done, he had planned, he probably worked hard, he risked it, whatever it did, he earned 10 more minas, which isn't crazy. But he did exactly what his master asked him to do, right? Yeah, he probably had to plan and he probably had to like risk it, but he did exactly, all he was doing was obeying his master's command. And what does his master say to him? What does the king say to him? He says, well done, good servant. You have been faithful in a very small matter, have authority over 10 towns. He gives him authority over 10 cities. All he did was invest like a little bit of money. And all of a sudden he has a crazy amount of authority over 10 cities. And it's the same thing happens with the second servant, right? He earned five more minas and he got part in charge of five towns. And here's what is crazy about this, you guys. This is what we need to take note of. They both obeyed the command to engage in the business. They just did what they were asked. All they did was obey the command and yet the reward that they received was radically disproportionate to the work they had done. The reward they received from their master was radically disproportionate to the little amount of work, but they were rewarded for their faithfulness. They, the reward they got totally outweighed any effort, any risk, anything they would have done would have been absolutely worth the reward of being put over 10 cities. And so what does this tell us about the king? The fact that he would reward them way beyond what they were worth. What does this tell us? It tells us that he is a really generous king. It tells us that he is a king that is eager to reward the people that obey him. And he is an incredibly rich king, but he's willing to give it all away. I mean, who just has like 10 or 15 cities able to give away? This is an extravagantly rich king, right? And he just gives it away as if he didn't even want it anymore. 
You guys, that is the type of king I want to serve and the type of commandment I want to obey, right? One where if all I have to do is just listen and obey and I get rewarded beyond my wildest dreams, that's amazing. This sounds like an amazing king, an amazing command to follow. But there's one more servant left, right? Not all the servants handled the minas in the same way. What does he say to the king? What is the third one? He said, master, here is your mina. I have kept it safe in a cloth because I was afraid of you since you're a harsh man. You collect what you didn't deposit and reap what you didn't sow. So what did the king get from this servant in addition to his mina that he gave him? Nothing. He got no return on his investment. The, the servant literally did nothing with it, and why not? Well, according to the servant, it's because he was scared, right? The servant said, he said, hey, you're a harsh man. I didn't want to get in trouble. You kind of have this reputation for like being harsh. I didn't want to like screw it up. I was scared of you. And so I just tucked it away in a cloth and I did nothing with this. Now, let me ask you this. Does what we have learned in the passage so far make this seem like a true statement? Does the king we have seen in this passage so far really seem like a harsh one? And I would say, I just don't think that's true. Actually, in the rest of this parable so far, we have seen a king that is really generous. He gives gifts and he gives rewards to totally undeserving people. And so one, I just don't think that's true. Number two, his logic doesn't even make sense, right? And the king actually points it out and said, hey, if you genuinely believe that about me, if you genuinely thought I was harsh and I was mean and I would come down on you, why didn't you at least put it in the bank? Like, I gave you something really valuable, and all you did was hide it in a cloth. Like, if you guys have something really valuable, you don't just tuck it in a cloth. Like, you put it in a safe, you put it in a bank, you do something, and then at least you would have gotten a little bit of interest on it, but you didn't even do that. If you genuinely were so concerned that I'd be so harsh, you would have done the bare minimum, but you didn't even value what I gave you enough. Which shows you guys that this, the servant had made up a lie about the king and used that to justify his inactivity. The servant's biggest problem that day wasn't that he didn't get a return on investment. It's that he didn't know the king. Because you guys, if he would have known that this king is a generous king, if he would have known that this king is just waiting to reward him beyond his imagination, no way would he have kept that in the cloth. The servant's biggest issue that day wasn't that he didn't get a return. It's that he didn't know his master enough to even try. He didn't know that his master was actually really generous and gave him the means to make more money. And how does the king respond? How does the king respond to the servant who didn't really know him, who made up the excuse, who did nothing with the thing that he was entrusted with? He calls him an evil servant and he takes away the mina from him and gives it to the man who had 10, which seems really unfair, right? Like, how is that even possible? And the people in this passage actually asked the question that you guys are probably wondering. He said, master, he has 10 minas. And what does the master say? He says, I tell you, that to everyone who has more, more will be given. And from the one who does not have, even what he does have will be taken. And is that fair? Is it fair that the king would take the mina away from the guy? He only has one and this guy has 10. He doesn't need any more. Is that fair? And I would say absolutely not. I would say that is absolutely not fair if the mina belonged to the servant in the first place. But who does the mina belong to? the king, right? It never belonged to the servant. The mina, the gift was only a loan given to him to manage for a little bit. It's like the same thing. I don't know if you guys do this, but when I was in college, I had a roommate named Ben and we had the same size clothes. So it was great because I don't have very many clothes. 
And so I would run out of laundry all the time, would just go down to Ben's closet, pick out a sweatshirt, wear it for the day. So I would do that, and I would probably get a lot more compliments on his sweatshirt because I have a very forgettable wardrobe. I promise it's so bland, it's nothing, but Ben was super into fashion, clothes, matching, all that stuff. So Ben had some cool stuff. So I'd wear a sweatshirt, put it on, get a ton of compliments, come home, I'd be wearing that sweatshirt. When Ben walks in the door and he says, dude, again, that's my sweatshirt. I'm like, sorry, I'm out of laundry. He's like, give it back. What do I tell him? Absolutely, take it back. It's not mine, it's yours. It's literally the same here thing, the same thing here, right? It is not unjust, it is not unfair for the king to rightly take back what was his in the first place and give it to somebody who actually obeyed the command. All right, and so that servant who didn't do anything, who didn't obey the command whatsoever, he is sent away and the other evil ones the ones in verse 14 who rejected his authority, who said, not my king, I'm not gonna submit to his authority, were brought before him and slaughtered. Which seems incredibly extreme to us, but back then treason was the highest of offenses. To sin, to betray, to disobey the direct order of a king who is viewed almost godlike as this perfect, holy, like authoritative figure, to sin against somebody of that magnitude like the death penalty, though sobering, was very realistic to them. And so the death penalty, the fact that they were slaughtered, had way more to do with the power and authority of the king than like the degree of the offense. Does that make sense? The worst part about the sin wasn't what it was, it was who it was against. It was against the king. And that was a death penalty. And so though sobering would have been very realistic to them. All right, so that's the parable. What is the point that Jesus is trying to make here? Why does Jesus, if he's talking about the kingdom of God, if he's talking about the reality of living under Jesus as our authority, what does he mean by this whole like parable about a king and giving gifts and servants? Here's the point. If you didn't get this already, the nobleman is Jesus. All right, and like that nobleman, Jesus has gone away to receive his authority as king. The disciples thought he was going to Jerusalem to get crowned king of, king of Jerusalem, but Jesus had no interest in an earthly kingdom. Jesus is way more concerned about bringing his kingdom to earth. Remember, the kings, they went from a place of lesser significance to a place of more. Jesus is leaving this earth and going and is right now sitting on the throne room of heaven and his father has crowned him king of heaven and earth. And so our Jesus, our King Jesus, he's gone away and he has been crowned Lord of heaven and earth. And like the nobleman who left his servants with some minas, with some minas and a command, Jesus has left us with some gifts and also a command on what we are to do with them. All right, so based on this parable, based on like what Jesus talks in here, we're gonna spend the rest of the night answering these three questions. What is the gift that God gives to us all right, so this king, he gave his servants minas, but what do we get from God? So what are the gifts we get from God? Two, what should we do with it? The command the king gave to the servants is, hey, engage in business. What is the command that Jesus gives to us? What are we to do with the gifts? And thirdly, what are we holding in our cloth? Because the last servant, all he did was hold his gift in a cloth. And I wonder if you and me are holding things in our cloth that we need to start investing. All right, so those three things. What is the gift God has given to us? What should we do with it? And what are we holding in our cloth? You guys, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a servant of a king, then you have been given a gift of immeasurable value. 
And that's a really good thing, all right? And I think there's four categories of gifts that I want to talk about tonight that God actually entrusts to you. He actually gives you an, an, a gift of incredible value. And the first one, it's kind of a category of its own. It's spiritual gifts. Look at what it, the Bible says in Romans 12, 3 through 8. It says, For by the grace given to me, I tell every one of you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now, as we have many parts in one body and all parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the proportion of one's faith. If service, use it in service. If teaching, in teaching. If exhorting, in exhortation. Giving with generosity. Leading with diligence. Showing mercy with cheerfulness. Each and every person who is a follower of Jesus has been given a personalized gift by the Holy Spirit to make you exceptionally good at something in the church. Isn't that amazing? Every single one of you who has put your faith in Jesus, God has looked at you and he thought long and hard about who you were gonna be and gave you something special to make you exceptionally good at something in his church. Some of you are just really good at encouraging one another. People tend to leave conversations with you more confident about their life, more confident about my, their selves. They feel like built up. You might have the gift of encouragement, the gift of exhortation, motivating, speaking life into people. That's amazing. Other of you guys are just like have this overwhelming sense and urge and desire to serve. You're always asking the question, hey, how can I help out? How can I get involved? How can I support this thing? What can I do to make this thing better and help out? You might have the gift of service. You guys, I don't know what your spiritual gift is. There's others ones listed in the Bible, but I'm telling you, the God of the universe didn't pass over you when he was giving you these gifts. He has looked at you and he has seen you and he has given you something of benefit, which means this, it means that you matter. I don't know what you've been told in your life. I don't know what you believe about yourself, but I'm telling you, you matter to God. And you matter so much that he would give you something of extraordinary value. He would give you himself and the Holy Spirit and make you exceptionally good at something. Which means, you guys, when you miss out on church, when you miss out on coming to Salt Company, when you miss out on coming to your connection group, we miss you. <laughs> You are actually robbing that group, robbing us of the gifts that you have. And we don't just want you guys to go to those things for attendance purposes. I genuinely believe that when you are not there, your group misses out. Your group misses out at the unique giftings and personality that God has given you and you alone. And you have something to offer that group and you need the gifts that they have to minister to you. There's a reason God gives you a gift. Each and every follower of Jesus has been given a spiritual gift. All right, so if that's kind of a category on, a, on its own, spiritual gifts, there's three more there's three more like kind of realms of gifts that God gives us that kind of fall under the more like natural gifting. And they, they're all T's. It's our time, it's our talents, and our treasure. Three more gifts that I think God gives to each one of us, our time, our talents, and our treasure. Let's start with time. Every week we live, we get 168 hours. That's how many hours are in a week. 56 of them are sleep if you're sleeping eight hours of night, but you guys are college students, so we're gonna round down to five. Is that about accurate? Five-ish? 
I feel like the guys in my D group, they just stayed up till two and we have D group at six this morning. So they got four. So five is probably a good average. All right, five. That means we have 133 waking hours every week. 133 hours to live our lives, to be awake, to be functioning. And God cares about your time. It matters to God how you spend your time because our life, get this, our life is a privilege, not a promise. Our life is a privilege, not a promise. We are not guaranteed one more day, one more week, one more year. It is actually a gift given to you by God and it matters what we do with it. Look at what God's word said, Colossians 4, 5. It says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of time. And the next one, Ephesians 5, 15, it says, pay careful attention then to how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of time because the days are evil. Every single one of us has time. We have a schedule, we have commitments, we have things that we choose to put on our schedule and it matters to God what we use that for. Because our time, it's not a promise, it's a privilege. We are given the gift of time, we are given the gift of life. All right, second one, talents. So if God, he gives us the gift of time, he also gives us the gift of talents. Each one of you have a unique set of like skills and passions and abilities and that were hand selected for you. Some of you guys are like really good at playing instruments. I know many of you guys are in the Panther marching band. That is a really cool thing. That is a skill I do not have at all, but that is like a unique thing that God wired you with the ability to play an instrument to do something. Others of you are athletes. You like do every intramural sport that comes your way and will probably be playing like adult soft softball as much as you possibly can. Like athletics, all right, it's a gift. <laughs> like you will want to do that. You're gonna try to milk it for way longer than you should. But anyway, it can be a gift, all right? And so athletes, like being athletic is a talent that God has given you. Guys, a lot of you, I think, in this room probably have the talent of teaching. We are at a teacher's college. You are here, and some of you just have this, like, unique desire and ability to take a concept or to take a subject and, like, break it down and understand it and explain it to somebody in a way that they can actually learn it for themselves. And you guys, that's sweet. That is a really unique skill and ability that I believe God has entrusted to you. Everybody is good at something. I don't know, maybe you don't feel that tonight, but everybody is good at something and God made sure of that. I promise you that if we like sat down for a cup of coffee and we were talking with one another, there would be something that you would know way more than me about. Like we would get to it and be like, oh my word, you know so much about that thing that I have no idea. Or very quickly, we would get to some point, some place in the conversation where I'd be like, oh my gosh, you are so much better at me than that thing. I promise you, God did not miss you when he was giving out talents. You have something that you are uniquely wired to be exceptional at. And so that's our talents. And the last one is treasure. The last kind of gift that I think we should think about is our treasure. Everybody always talks about how broke college students are, right? Well, God cares about your treasure. Here's the thing, though. We always make jokes. Yeah, we don't have any money. We're in college. But I'm pretty sure if you looked at, like, Sidecar, Starbucks, Dunkin' Donuts, and McDonald's sales over the last like month, 
you would think college kids are some of the richest people on earth, all right? I see the like double X shot oat milk whip with extra sprinkles, $7.25 drink at Starbucks that you get four days a week. You guys, that is so much money. Seriously, just keep track of your money. You guys spend your money, we do. We spend our money on what we value most. And we all say we don't have any money. But like the second a significant other gets in a dude's life, I'm like, where is all this money that you're spending on dates coming from? Like you've told me you've had no money this whole time, but all of a sudden something that he values comes into his life and all of a sudden the money is there. You guys, all of us have money. In fact, if you drove yourself here or were able to drive yourself here because you own a car, you are in an incredibly elite group of people in the world who actually own their own vehicle. And almost half the world lives on less than $5 a day. And the fact that you are sitting in this room, probably enrolled in a college and have some discretionary spending, means you are in a radically elite top percentage of the world's wealth. God knows how wealthy we really are because he sees the whole world. And so we have our money and how we spend our money matters to God. And so those are kind of the categories. We have our spiritual gifts. We have our time, we have our talents, we have our treasures, all things given to us by God. And so what should we do with it? If those are like the categories of things that I have given to me from God, what is expected of it? Well, looking back in the parable, what did the king ask his servants to do in 13? He says, engage in business until I come back. And so the reason the king gave his servants the minas was to get a return on his investment. And the reason that God gives you these gifts is so that we would invest in his kingdom and not your own. God gives us all of these things in our lives to invest in things that matter for the kingdom of God, to invest in things that matter for eternity, not just for retirement. So many people, they save and they invest and they accumulate for retirement, but Jesus is asking us to invest in eternity. And so God has lavished some incredible things on us, right? Think of every blessing you have in your life. Do you ever just sit and think about all the things? Think about every relationship you have. Think about your closet full of clothes, the dining centers that have food or your cupboards that have food. Think about your family, your network of relationships, the degree you're getting from college. You guys, God has lavished material blessing on this room. It's just true. God has looked on you and entrusted you so much. It's amazing. But what if all of that was actually given to you, not for the purpose of you, but for the purpose of God? What if all of those things that like are rattling around in your, bre- in your brain that like we have ownership over, what if those things aren't actually possessions you own, but a gift on loan for you to merit? manage? What if all of the things in our life aren't actually possessions that we can just hold on to as if they are our own? What if they are actually just a loan from God that we don't own, but we're actually just called to manage? What if we stopped asking the question, hey, how can I get more stuff, but how can I use my stuff to help other people and to accomplish gospel work? You guys, here is how I have seen this played out. I have seen this so much recently in this church, in my life, and it's amazing. So tomorrow night, some of you freshmen are going to the Salt Company freshman Halloween party. It's going to be amazing. Who's going? 
Yes, okay, the freshmen, they're always the quietest. So it's gonna be awesome. Tomorrow night, 8 p.m., there's a freshman Halloween party. It's going to be amazing. Guys, the house that you guys are going to, it's actually my parents' house. And here's what I love about that. My parents have an amazing house for hosting. But here's what they have decided. If you go down in the basement, look at the wall, there is literally dozens and dozens of pictures on the wall of all of the events they have hosted for our church and our salt company. Because my parents get what this parable is trying to teach us, that their home is not just for them. It's actually to be used and to be leveraged for the things of God. And my parents are so wise and so godly that the minute that house is unable to keep hosting people, they'll just sell it. They don't need a house that big. And so my parents, they are using their house, the thing that God has given, they have a perspective. It's not their house, it's God's house. It's not for them, it's for his people and it's for the world. You guys, one of my favorite baptism stories from Sunday, Laura and I actually got the privilege to baptize a woman named Brittany. And that woman is actually the mom of our foster baby, Kenzie. And it is just this miraculous story. She has come to know Jesus. She is taking her first steps in obedience. And it's awesome, you guys. And she is on track to get her kids back. And so we're going to get the privilege to like give her babies back to her as her life has just been totally transformed. But here's the thing. There's been a couple things on her house that needed to be up to code before she can get her kids back. There's just some things that were unsafe for babies and like toddlers to be around at it. And so Elias Nissen, who's on staff here, came with me last Saturday. And I don't know if you know this about Elias or not, but he is like a master woodworker. He has a business, like a barn deconstruction business where he takes barns down, he repurposes the wood, he builds tables and armors. He's amazing, you guys. He has skills and tools that I could only dream of having. He's like, yeah, he's amazing with those things, but he used that talent. <laughs> He used the gift that God just like gave him this ability to do it to serve Brittany last week and build her this deck and reinforce it. He's just like assessing what God is giving him and using it. You guys, you are doing this too. It was so fun uh, to see you, Hannah, on Sunday morning for the first time. Like, man, I'm going to go serve in Kendeo Kids. I've never done it. Can you like show me where to go? Like she was so excited. A freshman in our ministry, just like trying to serve, trying to do something to help out a church family. It was awesome. You guys, many of you, I am so proud of like a large portion of this room who right now is like contemplating, man, what can I do with my summer next summer to leverage my life for the gospel? Do I work at a camp? Do I go back home to share the gospel? Do I go overseas with a salt summer trip? It is so sweet to see a room full of colleges realize that summer break is actually a really unique gift that God gives you right now in your life. And you guys are trying to leverage that for the gospel. It is so encouraging you guys, this room is doing amazing at this. And this is Jesus' encouragement. Keep going. There is a reward for your work. And these are amazing examples. You guys, I could go on and on. There are seriously so many stories in this room, in this building right now, that people are taking good care of the things that God has given. They have an eternal perspective. But as we think of these people and these examples... As we like hold those up and we want to honor them and keep going, I think it's also important that we ask this question of ourselves. What are we hiding in our cloth? In what ways not only can we be like the servants who were a good steward, a good manager, but in what ways are we like the third servant who has taken what God gives us and have covered it up in a cloth and are holding it, doing nothing with it? See, the first two, they risked it all and they got the reward of a lifetime. And the third one, he played it safe and ended up holding an empty cloth. So company, I don't want that for any of us. What do we have buried in the cloth? 
What are we holding back from God? Are you guys saying, hey, Jesus, you can have my Thursday nights, all right? Thursday nights at eight, that's the Lord's time. But the, the weekend, the rest of my time, I'm king over that. Or Jesus, yeah, hey, you can have my devotional time. You can be king of that. But my wallet, no way. I am in charge of my money, not you. The things you give me, I'm going to treat them as if they are your own. As some of you, I think, are waiting to live the life you think you want to live after college. Yeah, I'm going to give when I get a job. I'm going to serve the church when I get older. I'm going to serve the church when I'm not as busy. Guys, your entire college experience, the fact that you have money, the fact that you have summer breaks, the fact that you have time, the fact that you have salt company is a gift. How many of us are using college as an excuse not to serve the kingdom of God when that college is actually the gift God has given you to serve the kingdom of God? How many of us are using this time in college as kind of an excuse, like, all right, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna put it in my cloth. Thank you, God, for this awesome experience. Thank you, God, for what we're doing. I'm gonna use this for me, but not for you. I'm gonna spend this whole time building my resume, doing everything I can to get ahead, to make money, do whatever I need to do. God, thanks for this. It's been really sweet. I want it for me, but not for you. So, company, it is one of my greatest fears that myself and people in this room would spend the rest of our lives trying to build our own little kingdom with the gifts that God has given us instead of leveraging our lives for the gospel and for things that matter in eternity. And here's what we can often believe. I think it's really hard to think about living a life that's like really radical, really out there, sacrificing things because we believe just that. We believe that we are sacrificing. We believe that we are giving up something of greater value, our time, our talents, our treasures, for something of lesser value, like a good old Christian pat on the back or something. I'm telling you guys, that is not what's happening here. When we leverage our lives for the gospel, when we take the things that God has entrusted to us and with all that we can possibly do, just leverage them trying to have, make some eternal impact, you are not making a sacrifice. You are just trading earthly trash for heaven's greatest treasure. Because you're not losing it, you're just investing it for eternity. So the things you view as radical, the things you view as, wow, that is an all-in Christian, they are going so hard. Jesus is probably just looking down from heaven going, that's just what obedience looks like. That's not radical, that's obedience. I'm telling you, there's nothing we could do with our lives, Salt Company. There's nothing so radical, so over the top, that we would go overboard. Jesus looks back and say, that is actually just exactly what I'm asking you to do. Guys, how can we actually live like this though? How can we actually be the good stewards that Jesus is calling us to be? How can we change our lives and minds to believe that that's true? There's two things, I think. The first is this. It's a total perspective shift on the things that you have and the life that you live. Can we be real? We do not actually own anything. God owns it. I do not own my truck. That is God's truck for his people and his glory, not my own. I do not own my house. That is both true in like a temporal sense. I didn't buy my house. It's, we're renting it, but it's still God's house, all right? Like I do not own that house and nothing in it is mine. It's actually God's. Can we come to a genuine belief that the things we have are not our possessions to own, but they are gifts on loan to us by a God who has a job for those things to do. And the second is this. 
we need to look to a God who has already given of his best and looks to reward those who do the same. Look at what it says in Romans 8.31. It says, what then are, to we say, are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us. How will he not also with him grant us everything? You guys, like that king was standing ready and eager to reward his subjects with radical disproportion to the work that they get. Our God is standing in heaven waiting to come back and give you a reward that is radically disproportionate and totally worth any sacrifice you think you have made. And how do we know this is true? It's because the thing that would have been most precious, the thing that would have been most valuable for God to give you, he already gave you when he gave you his son, Jesus, on the cross to die and to forgive you of your sins. You guys, there's no limit to the generosity of our God because there is no limit to our God. And he has given you himself when he gave Jesus on the cross and he has given you himself when he gave you the Holy Spirit inside of you. Because the call to give up the things in your life, the call to leverage what God has given us for the things of eternity, it's not a call to sacrifice. It's a call to participate in the riches of heaven right alongside of Jesus who has already given you all that he can give you. Will you pray with me, Salt Company? Father, I thank you that though we are unworthy, though we are undeserving, somehow, someway, you have chosen to entrust us with immeasurable riches and gifts and time and talent and treasure for your glory. Jesus, would we be the type of people that look at you, that actually know the character of our king, that actually know that you are standing ready to give an amazing reward beyond our wildest dreams. And would we be a people that with all that we are, with everything in us, would be desperate to use what you have given us to impact the kingdom and to have gospel impact. Father, would we not be a stingy people? I pray that right now we would realize what we are hiding in our cloth. I pray that you would convict this room in this moment and realize that we have no right to take what you have given us and hoard it away as if it is our own. Would we just be genuinely thankful for the gifts we do have? Jesus, thank you for giving us the ultimate gift of yourself on the cross. Would we trust in that for the forgiveness when we fall short? Jesus, we worship you now. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Salt Company Cedar Falls podcast. For more information about Salt Company, you can visit saltcedarfalls.com.